Good evening. Ladies, the last time I spoke to a bunch of ladies was at an outreach at a uh, high school, Ben Franklin High School. Some of y'all was there, I think. A couple thousand women. It was a lot of women there. I just remember that. <laughs> and um, I'm used to that. I had sisters, and I was raised by a single mom. And so I love the sisters in the Lord. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us the privilege, Lord, to not only, Lord, sing unto you, Lord, but, Lord, to fellowship with one another, Lord. Um, you give grace to the humble, Lord, and so we come seeking your, your grace, Lord. We, we long to be what you want us to be, Lord, but we know sometime that may take us a lifetime. But, Lord, in the process of time, Lord, we pray, Lord, that all that you want to do in our hearts that we be open to you, Lord, that our eyes would be able to see the things that you want us to see, that our hearts, Lord, would be able to, Lord, experience the beat of your heart, Lord, and, and that, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. Father, we love you, Lord. I pray for each woman here tonight, Lord. Pray, Lord, you give them their portion, Lord. You fill them, Lord. We know how troubled this world could be, Lord. I pray, Lord, even now, Lord, give them a sense of your peace that surpasses our knowledge. And so, Lord, we love you. We honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalms 119. It's the longest <clears throat> chapter in the Bible. And I know you had like a Christmas break and a New Year's break. And, and now we're back. In the thick of things. And now remember that the psalm um, written in Psalm 119, they don't really know who wrote it, <clears throat> but it's a long psalm. It's, you know, you have Psalm 119, before that you had Psalm you know, 118, then you had Psalm 117, which is the shortest psalm with just two verses in the Bible. But Psalm 119 is a long, long psalm. It's written in what we call Hebrew acrostic poetry. And so, would, you know, in the Hebrew language, they had 22 alphabet, alphabets. And so you have one alphabet, eight stanzas. And it would be, if you, in the English language, it would be like this. If you had the letter A, you had eight verses under the letter A. Each one of those verses would start with, the, with that word would start with the letter A. It's real complicated to write that way. And the reason why they would write that way, you, were, you would memorize it better. You would memorize it. So if it says A, you would say every word began with A. If you said B, every word began with B. And so this is an interesting way of writing. Whoever wrote this was really skilled and crafted in their penmanship to write in such an order. You know, you try, what did you do when you get to the letter Q, if it was in the English language? You know, you find eight words that begin with Q, you know. And so it's interesting that the writer, you know, is just this long, beautiful psalm. You know, no other book writes in acrostic poetry except Lamentations chapter 3, which is 22 verses and written by Jeremiah. So he could write in that way. So whoever penned this, this psalm, some say it's David. I don't know if it's David. I just know we'll know when we get to heaven, the Holy Spirit will tell us when we get there. And so you'll think of Psalm 19, you think of these words. Law, which we get the Torah from. Word, two different words for the word word. You have the word judgments, testimonies. You have the words commandments, statues, 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 precepts, 
These are all words just describing God's word. That's simply, that's what it is. Words describing God's word. And so when you read this, this is all about God's word. 176 verses is 22 alphabets. In the Hebrew, there's no vowels, all consonants. And so you have these, you know, these wonderful, precious verses in the Bible that if you want to learn God's word, you should read Psalm 119. Tells you so much about how God worked and how important it is to know the word of the living God. You know, because I think about this. If you were a Jewish person in Israel, you know, I don't know if you grew up in different churches, but I grew up in a kid, as a kid at a Methodist church. And then we went to like a holiness church. And then we went to a Baptist church. And, you know, every church. But most church denominations have their own hymn note. You know, you got the Baptist hymn note, and you got the Methodist hymn note, the Episcopal hymn note. For a Jew, the Psalms was their hymn note. That's their hymn book. And they said, well, who wrote the songs in that book? God. So, you know, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the word of God is for us to do good works, to maintain good works, and to live a holy life unto the Lord. And so when you get to verse 25, this is the fourth Hebrew alphabet, Daleth, 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 each 20, you know, it says, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. He says, you know, the psalmist says, my soul clings to the dust. This is the same Hebrew word in Genesis 2-7 when it talks about Adam being created from dust. You know, it's same word. It means dry earth, dust is, you know, is about is 111 times in the Old Testament. But 13 times in the Psalms, it uses this word. But only once here in Psalm 119. Only once. This is the same word dust for Adam when Adam was created. And I think when it says dust, you almost said, you know, at a low point of your life when you're in the dust. You're at the lowest point of your life when you're in the dust. Because dust is real vulnerable. You can just go like this and it's blown away. So he says, my soul clings to the dust. And this is what he's longing for. Revive me according to your word. This is the means of us being revived. God's word. Revive me. Revive, you know, that Latin word, re, you know, to live again, re again, re, you know, vi, vibe, you know, in a sense, vivere, to live. Revive me. Bring me back to life. Revive me. We need revival in our country, you know, revival. Revive me. Bring me back to the original fashion. I have declared my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. He says, I, he says, I've declared my ways. He says, I've spoken, but now it's time for me to listen. Because we all, in sitting in this room, if the truth be told, we all have the tendency to talk more to the Lord than we listen to him. 
we can pray up a storm to God. And then when he's trying to talk to us, I don't hear that. You know, we, <laughs> and the song says, I've declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. And the ideal is the statutes is the written word of God and the authority of his written word. Declaring his authority and power of giving us his word, his laws, his word. Lord, I need to sit and be quiet. I need to sit and be quiet. Something that's hard for all of us to do, I'm sure. Just to sit and be, you've got four kids. I don't know anybody make it with four kids. Or two. One. One is probably harder than four because, uh, you know, the four, at least you can get them to play with each other until they fall into a fight. You know, you can break it up. But one, they want all your attention. And he says that, you know, he says, and you answered me, teach me your statutes, you know, sit me down. I want to sit down. I want to be quiet. Look, Mary, remember Mary and Martha? If you was to raise your hand and you say, well, I'm more like Martha, and then some people say I'm more, it would be less hand saying I'm more like Mary. Because we're doers by nature. Remember the Lord said she chose the better part in Luke 10? She chose the better part to sit at Jesus' feet, to hear his voice. To hear from him, say, Lord, I don't need to be doing nothing all the time. She sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him. And so the psalmist says in verse 27, he says, Make me understand the way of your precepts. Precepts, God injunctions, his prescribed way or his command. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I shall meditate on your wonderful works. I love that phrase, wonderful works. Eleven times in the Bible, wonderful works. Ten times in the Old Testament. You know, it's just his wonderful works. You know, all through the Psalms, it talks about his wonderful works. In Psalm 40, verse 5. In Psalm 78, verse 4. Four times in Psalm 107. Psalm 107, verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, and verse 31. All says, talks about God's wonderful works. You know, in Psalm 111, verse 4, it says his wonderful works. And in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 2, talks about his wonderful works. But the one time that is mentioned in the New Testament is mentioned during the time of Pentecost. God's wonderful works. You ever think about how wonderful God is? You ever thought about his wonderful works? You know, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon those who were in the upper room, and then it spilled over, you know, in chapter 2 in Acts. It's interesting that when you get to the verse 11 in Acts chapter 2, it talks about we hear them speaking in their own tongues, their own dialect, the wonderful works of God, the Holy Spirit, the wonderful works of God, the wonderful works of God. You know where they found it? They found in God's word. The wonderful works of God. And, the, and it seems like when you get to the next verse, the psalmist almost goes back to where he started off. Because it seems like it's going downward or downward mood in a sense. He says, my soul melts from heaviness. If you got the King James, I teach from the New King James. The King James is melteth. My soul melts is the like to be a drip drop in a sense. And the impl implication is to weep or drop through or pour out. This is like, you know, you're home and it's, you had a good day. You ever had a good day? Man, this was a great day. Made it through the day. Nothing crazy happened. 
And then you get a call like four in the morning or three in the morning. Aunt Jessie just died. You're like, what? This is what they're talking about. This melting, this soul, something that happens in a negative sense. Or, you know, you go to the doctor. I don't like going to the doctor. Because I don't like when they don't call you. And then when they do call you, your heart go like this, boom, 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 boom. You know, I don't like going to the doctor. The older you get, the more you don't want to go to the doctor. Because if they call you, like, don't call me. If they don't call me, I don't care if they don't call me back. I just want to go. I don't hear about blood work results or, results or nothing. Just get me out of there. But here it says, my soul melts from heaviness, hearing a bad report from the doctor. And me and my wife know about that. She had cancer twice. You know, you hear the doctor say, oh, you know, oh, here we go again. My soul melts from heaviness, and the heaviness is better translated into grief. My soul melts from heaviness, strengthen me. Notice where it goes right back to, according to your word. According to your word. I think that we should diligently study the word of God. Be Bereans. Be Bereans. You know, those in you know, Berea, they were more fair-minded or more noble-minded than those who were in Thessalonica. You know, and you read Acts chapter 17, verse 11. They were more, they studied themselves. They, you know, it's good to come to church. You know, you go to Calvary Chapel, you probably could be like a scholar if you went to some third world country. The amount of Bible studies we get at Calvary Chapel is second to none. It's second to none. If people don't know the Bible at Calvary Chapel, it's because they do not want to know the Bible. And here it says that strengthen me according to your word. He says, you want strength? It's according to God's word. It's God's word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It makes wise the simple. It says in Psalm 19, it makes wise the simple. And I can attest to that because I know how simple I was before Christ. Still a little simple, but getting better at it. And he says, strengthen me according to your word. We should let the word of God never become some type of intellectual academic exercise where we just kind of like get all this head knowledge and, you know, because knowledge puffs up and love edifies. We should never let the word of God give us all this knowledge. And, you know, I, got, you know, I know about this. The Pharisees were like that. They were like Bible heads. They knew the Bible. Some of them knew the first five books of the Bible. They wouldn't know from Genesis, you know, to Deuteronomy by heart, some of them. And Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. He said, no, 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 they testify of me. So they had knowledge of the word, but they didn't have the word. They didn't have the word. The word was standing right before them, teaching them. And sometimes the Bible can become like this academic thing, or we just get hit knowledge. And that's good enough for some of us, but it doesn't change our hearts. It doesn't change our hearts. You want strength, it's to strengthen me according to your word. You walk in church on Sundays, or Wednesday nights, you hear the word, you leave there strengthened. You leave there strengthened. Jesus told the disciples, you guys are clean because of my word. 
Not because of the miracles you saw me do or anything, because of my word. Like Peter in Second Peter says, it was the prophetic word. We saw, we heard a voice from on high, a cloud. God the Father comes down in the cloud, says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He said, that wasn't even greater than the prophetic word of God. That wasn't even greater. No miracle, nothing, nothing was greater than the word of God. Because he magnifies his word even above his name. That's what he says in Psalm, you know, in, in Psalm 138, verse 2. He magnifies his word above his name. Over again. You know, one translation says of this verse 28, My soul dissolves because of grief. Renew and strengthen me according to the promises of your word. Do you know that God's word is promises? He promises us certain things in the Bible. He promises certain things. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We don't need to pray, Lord, don't leave me. The Bible says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll never, ever leave you nor forsake you. And he says in verse 29, remove me from the way of lying. It doesn't say remove me from lying because that would, you know, that would be easy. That wouldn't be so easy for us to do. He says, remove from me the way of lying. Because that wouldn't be so easy to do, because most of us can lie, you know. He says, but remove me from the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. Your law is another, you know, word for the word of God. Your law, he says, I have chosen the way of truth, not the way of lying. Paul said, put away lying, you know. Ephesians 4.25, put away lying. He says, I've chosen the way of truth. That's the choice. I've chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I've laid before me. This psalmist has made a choice. And it was to choose truth more than, you know, you know, truth. You read the Bible. You know, Jesus sanctified them by thy word. Thy word is truth. You know, the word is truth. The truth sets us free because you shall know the truth. It shall set you free indeed. People want truth. But not everybody want to live truth. I'm at a place they teach nothing but truth, man. They teach that. They go verse by verse. Man, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But living it is different than just hearing it. He says, I've chosen the way of truth. I want truth. That's what I, I've chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I've laid before me. And notice what he says. I cling. I like the, new, I like the King James says, I have stuck to your testimonies. Another way, word for word, testimonies. Oh, Lord, do not put me to shame. He won't put us to shame. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall never be put to shame. By no wise will he cast us out. No way will God look at us and say, oh, no, no, you, you used to be my child. You're not my child no more. No, no, even the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son story when it was a certain man had two sons and the younger one. The younger said unto his father, give me the portion of goods that falleth unto me. And not many days after, he divided unto them his livelihood. And it says he went and wasted his, you know, livelihood on riotous living. And he would have gladly joined himself as a citizen to that country. He would even eat the husk or the pods that the pigs was eating. And it says that when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's servants had bread enough to spare? And I'm here perishing with hunger. He said, I will arise and go to my father and say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. 
And it says, when he was on his way home, the father saw him from afar, ran to him. He didn't see the father. The father saw him. If that was one of us, you imagine your son coming home, messing up all your money. He said, boy, you messed up all my money. Smell like pork chops. Go back where you came from. You know, the father didn't do that. The father loved him. The father loved him, fell and kissed him on his neck, gave him a robe, purple robe, royalty, gave him a ring, a ring meant that it was a covenant, gave him sandals. He said, make me a servant. No, no, no. Servants didn't wear sandals. He gave him sandals. Say, no, you're part of a family. This is the God we serve. He will never put us to shame. He will never put us to shame. He's not out to embarrass us or make us feel like we're not worth nothing. That's not the God we serve. And the psalmist says, look, oh, Lord, do not put me to shame. Don't put me to shame. I cling to your testimonies, Lord. I can trust your word. I rely on your word. It will never return void. And then he says, I will run the course of your commandments. For you shall enlarge, notice, you shall enlarge my heart. A person who runs in the ways of God's word, that person's heart will be enlarged. Is the word that means to be or to grow wide or to grow large. Here the psalmist is depending upward on the vertical, not the horizontal. He says, I will run the course of your commandments. You know, it's interesting you know, James, who was the Lord's brother, I love what James writes. He says, for if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For his, he, he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. He says, this one will be happy. Makarios, you will be happy in what you do. If you continue in the word, you look, he who begun a good work will complete it even until the day of Christ. Run the course, stay on course, stay on course. It says walk circumspectly, you know, redeeming the times, knowing that the days are evil. Walk is acrobos. We get the word acrobatic from walk. Our walk, we got to stay the course, be it Bible study, be it women groups, be it prayer. Stay the course. Your heart will enlarge. You'll be on fire for the things of the Lord. You'll be on fire. You'll never stop loving Jesus. If you constantly stay in the word of God, you will never stop loving Jesus. I have never stopped loving Jesus. I don't care what circumstance happened in my life, what happens in my life. I will always love Jesus because of his word. Because of his word. His word is quietest us down. You know, you have a rough day. You start looking, looking around at this world. The world is crazy. The older you get, time goes faster, too. You hope the day lasts long. It's dark already. Like, oh, my God. It's Wednesday tomorrow. We got Bible study again and Friday again. You know, every day is just like, hmm, hmm, hmm. You try to slow the time down. You can't even do it. And what slows everything down for me is that when I sit before the word, when I sit right before God's word and say, Lord, I know it's power in your word. I know, Lord, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I really know that. 
And I really know if I'm not reading like I should or getting the time like I should in with God. Changes your attitude. You know when you don't read, somebody says, how you doing? What? You get short real fast. Something happens when you don't read. It's like being fed something spiritually. And then you get real short with people when you're not reading like you're supposed to be reading. You start realizing, you say, well, Lord, I need the word more than I think I need the word. Where did that attitude come from? He measured against how much you're reading. And he says, I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart, because there is a great joy in learning and knowing and walking in the word. He says, look, we should walk as Christ walked, 1 John 2, 6. That's how a walk should be. Christ was the word that became flesh and tabernacled among sinners. And he entrusted imperfect people with a perfect word. And he says, here, here's my word. Heaven and earth will pass away. Not, not, not one jot or tittle of my word will fail. Not one portion of it. And we're living in a day now, and I think the greatest exhortation for y'all ladies is this. Read the word. Learn the word. Teach your children, your grandchildren, your great-grands. Teach them the word. When they wake up, you're giving them a word. When they go lie down like Deuteronomy, you're giving them the word. You're constantly saying, here is the word of God. This is the only thing that works. I can leave you a house. I can leave you a car. I can leave you a portfolio. I can leave you all the money in my 401k or my 403b. But the only thing that works is going to be the word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, the part that you play in it, Lord, is perfect. The part that we play in it, Lord, sometimes put us in a place, Lord, where we don't understand it. But Holy Spirit, reveal to us, Lord things you want, Lord, our hearts to experience, the things you want us to know, Lord. Lord, we don't know what we should know, Lord, but we do know, Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. You're immutable, Lord. You change not, Lord. As a father, I pray, Lord, let us think of how you can strengthen us according to your word. Even some come here, their hearts are, their souls even melt. Melted with the heaviness, the grief, and the burdens of life, and the things that we carry sometimes, Lord. Um, pray, Lord, tonight that we could look you, Lord, look to you and, and say, Lord, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. That we can cast all of our care upon you because you care for us, Lord. Every burden we have tonight, we could lay down, Lord, at the foot of the cross. That place where grace and mercy meets, Lord. And suffering is there, but mercy meets it right there. And so, Lord, fill us tonight, Lord, with truth and wonder. But, Lord, let us be vulnerable enough to know, Lord, that you want to help all of us in our time of need, Lord. And pray for those, Lord, who are just trying to hide behind everything. But, Lord, they're just afraid to say, I need you, Lord. I need you tonight, Lord. I'm so broken. I'm so torn up. I need you, Lord. Strengthen me. Help me. Show me your ways through your word. I know you love me. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. God bless you, ladies. God bless you.